Big thanks to Arno at ALM, almk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Hit Arno up at A-R-N-O at almsuit.com. First-time visitors to a site, use discount code WDRADIO to receive 10% off your new tug or suit. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Welcome to episode three of Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I'm Ted Summers. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro uh, from Canton, Ohio. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today on the show, we have Jerry Gerard Bradshaw from Tar Heel Canine. Uh, Jerry's resume reads kind of like a who's who of the canine world. Um, runs Tar Heel Canine, was the sort of godfather of PSA, Protection Sports Association, which he's going to talk about today. Um, with that... Eric, what have you guys been doing up there in Ohio? Well, uh, we've been real busy. You know, we're doing our normal training stuff, but uh, my guys this week got four bite apprehensions, I think. Damn. So it was pretty bu- pretty busy week. Uh, I think all f- – no, one was a burglary, three were from tracks. Excellent. Tracks. Were they all passive at the end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. That's what we always, we always train for. It. They always try to hide. You know, if I just lay here, they won't get me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that nope. never works. <laughs> right. We, we, they don't know that we train for that, I guess. <laughs> Apparently not. So, uh, Jerry, we already did your introduction uh, really quickly. I, I did like the 10-second the version of your uh, of your resume, PSA, and uh, Tar Heel Canine. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give us uh, some kind of the background of Tar Heel, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so um, I started uh, Tar Heel, you know, back in, uh, you know, back about, uh, you know, 20 some odd years ago um, as a, uh, you know, I was a, a pet dog owner who, you know, kind of got into uh, working dogs through uh, sport. Um, I was, uh, my house got broken into, I decided to get a dog, um, you know, that dog didn't work out. And so I got one that looked just like it. That was a Belgian Malinois and, uh, didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, luckily the breeder, uh, sort of steered me in the right direction and told me to get in, uh, involved in a, um, you know, a dog sport. And so I went, I was lucky enough to be close to, uh, Raleigh Schutzen Association and started taking my puppy out there. Um, you know, kind of the rest was history in the sense that I started spending a lot more time training my dogs than I was, uh, finishing my PhD in economics, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, so I, you know, at some point I decided to make the jump of, um, you know, starting a business. And so that's kind of how Tar Heel was born. I started, uh, mostly doing, you know, pet training and things like that. Um, but my interest in working dogs continued and I continued to, uh, uh, title, uh, dogs and IPO, you know, showed them back then. 
and um, met a lot of people through my travels in uh, in Shotsun. Um, met a lot of canine cops, uh, and, uh, and just start, sort of started getting an interest in um, expanding my business beyond pets, uh, and, and that's kind of how the uh, well, sort of the working dog program there got born. Um, started getting into uh, selling police dogs um, very slowly at first, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, right? Yeah. So you here and there, and you know, kind of uh, you just kept hammering away at it over time, and training a lot of pet dogs, and you know, doing my uh, my sport thing, um, and then uh, you know, <clears throat> that continued until uh, you know around about uh, 2001. And, you know, I had, uh, by that time I had a school for dog trainers going and, and, uh, you know, my working dog programs are starting to grow and, uh, I got, uh, I got involved in, um, you know, through one of my students, uh, that graduated the program, Joe Morris, uh, he started doing some, uh, some sports stuff, uh, that was, uh, not, uh, Schutzen. Uh, he, uh, there was this old sport out on the West Coast called, uh, NAPD, and he had gone to a couple of trials after he graduated, and he said, hey, you know, you should come check this out. We checked that out. We checked out, you know, the old Canon Pro Sports and, you know, started dabbling around in some of that stuff, and then, uh, you know, one day we were all together up in Maryland, and we said, why don't we actually start a sport? Um, we felt like there were a lot of things in other sports maybe we could do better and you know i sat down and started hammering out some rules and uh you know and that's kind of how it all began so you know since that time you know we've been uh you know we've been through some ups and downs it's a lot of some people think it's an easy thing to create a sport um i can tell you uh it's not uh, it takes a lot of tenacity it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort um it takes a lot of negotiating skills uh to uh you know deal with all the personalities uh in uh, in the sport, not just in the organization, but outside and trying to bring people together and bring people in to, uh, to enjoy it. And so, uh, you know, so that's kind of, uh, where we are now. Um, you know, my, uh, my business has been, uh, going for quite some time and, uh, PSA has been, uh, been growing over the last few years, uh, really strongly. And I'm super happy with that. We're getting a lot of international interest, uh, as well as our, you know, our, our, uh, local, uh, well, local, our, you know, U.S. interests. So, um, that's, uh, that's kind of my history. I started out as an economics professor and now I'm a dog trainer. And, uh, you know, when I go back and look at some of the stuff that I wrote when I was in graduate school, I wonder where that smart guy went, but, um, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, have a lot of fun and, uh, to, uh, travel a bit and I meet a lot of good people. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a, uh, been a, a interesting, ride for the last 20 some odd years that uh, that i've been doing it cool yeah uh, we'll talk about some of the psa stuff here shortly but um you know from because you know you and i kind of have similar backgrounds i was never a cop i was never in the military and you know i'm kind of in the same position you were however long ago and uh it, it, it's interesting to see a guy like you um be so i mean because i think you're kind of understating how much you write um and how much you contribute to the working dog community and i mean i'm sure people that subscribe to some of the other publications have seen the articles you write have seen the seminars you put on i mean where have you been this year you've been to what 
Korea, or not this year, I mean with 2017, because it's 2018, but we South Africa, uh, yeah, uh, India, Korea, um, you know, right. I kind of lose track after a little while. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going, this year we're going to, uh, going to be in, uh, in Costa Rica soon, uh, Malaysia, uh, Australia, a few other places. So yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're all over the place sometimes. Right. So as a, as a as a civilian, um, what was you know, like you said earlier? You know, you started out fairly slowly selling dogs, uh, law enforcement dogs, and I think even today, um, you know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting industry, and um, seeing you know civilians in that are successful and that do actually do a very good job. Um, you know, how I mean, granted, you've been here for twenty, like you said, twenty years, but how difficult was it from the beginning as a civilian to break in? to or to start selling dogs to cops really hard um like like super yeah, hard. some things never change <laughs> some things never change right so in, you know like in the beginning um uh you know i i just you know just i just thought well you know it's a um you know it's a matter of uh of merit right so if you're good at what you do and, and you can do it um then uh you know you should be able to do it and you know just like anything else um all industries have their and have their barriers to entry, you know. Um, so as an economist coming from that background, you know, not being a cop was kind of a, a big barrier to entry. You know, all the certification organizations, for the most part, you, know, you have to be, uh, you know, either a cop or a retired cop to, you know, be a quote unquote master trainer and and all that sort of stuff. And I, you know, I, even back then, I saw it for what it was. I think for 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 the most part, which is, you know, just a way to keep other people out to a certain extent. And I think it was, I think it was just bad. You know, it's just a bad decision to keep good influence influences out of an industry right so but it also protects the people that are in that industry from you know from losing stature and from losing business and and that sort of thing and you know i think that's i think one of the best things over the past you know 20 some odd years and i i i will continue to say you know this um to people who are getting into the industry um it's hard to get into you know, selling police dogs because, um, you know, if you're not a cop or you're not from the military, but being a cop uh, or being a canine handler or being a canine handler in the military after, you know, having been around a lot of canine handlers um, from both over the years, and this is not to disparage anybody, is that doesn't make you like a good police dog trainer necessarily just because you've handled a dog. It does give you certain experiences um, that somebody in my position or your position might not otherwise have. However, um, I also have a lot of experiences just from, you know, not having to go to domestic calls and take reports and things like that. I can spend most of my time, you know, learning my craft and, and getting better and better and better at it. And, you know, so everybody has competitive advantages. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot about deploying dogs and that sort of thing. But, you know, like I always tell my cop audiences, I don't know what it's like to, you know, aside from some of the ride alongs I've done, done with, uh, you know, Sean Edwards and Sean Siggins, who worked for me um, over the years. I don't know what it's like to, you know, pull over a car at two o'clock in the morning and be the only person walking up to the driver's side. I don't know what that's like. Um, I don't know what it's like to strap on a, you know, a bulletproof vest and, you know, and, and hope that uh, nothing, you know, nothing's going to go side ways on a shift but i you know but i do know a lot about dog training and so um you know i think uh, i think i've done a good job over the years of understanding and talking to and you know and getting a feel for how people ought to 
uh, do certain things based on experiences that I've learned from other people um, who have actually, you know, been in that position. But I don't think being in that position is is like some sort of, uh, you know, sword that you pulled out of a stone that makes you a good police dog trainer necessarily. Um, you know, so, you know, like I said, we all have our experiences. There are a lot of people that have come out of the military that are doing, you know, police dog training, uh, you know, for, you know, for civilian law enforcement here in the States. They also don't have a lot of the same experiences that you get in civilian law enforcement. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they've had a lot of great experiences as trainers. Um, so, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and, uh, I think as long as we continue to work on our strengths, um, you know, civilians are, are getting a lot of play in law enforcement these days, not just in canine, but in other levels, you know, and, you know, shooting right, right. and things of that nature. Right. So, you know, they just, you know, if you, if you can, you know, if you can uh, do a good job with, you know, with uh, putting good teams out there and so forth and, you know, and, and have an appreciation to evolve with the, uh, you know, evolve with the times. I think that's a big thing is, you know, being willing to evolve with the times you can, yeah, yeah. you know, you could be a, a you know have a lot of police experience from 20 years ago, and that doesn't mean that that all necessarily carries over into today's world. And you know, if you're not paying attention to what's happening and, and how things need to be done. Yeah, Eric brings up a really good point. Um, Eric and I have had this conversation before. And people in this industry, like you could try and give away a dog and somebody and people will buy dogs in this industry based on relationships alone. I mean, Eric, you know, does a lot. I mean, talk about that a little bit, Eric. Yeah. You know, we we find a lot of people um, get dogs from people being police departments, get dogs from vendors. And then the dog is just not very good and they don't ever take the dog back because it's a pain in the butt. But they go back to that person and go back to them and go back to them. Not because uh, they like the quality, just because of personal relationships. And uh, I do, I do find that odd. I, I mm-hmm. that's why in my business, I always, I want to put out good dogs uh, so that you come back for the good dogs. Right. Um, rather yeah. than just because you like me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, sort of a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a two way street too, where, you know, you want to put out good dogs and you want to, you know, a, a lot of this business is, is about, you know, good relationships, good customer service, things of that nature. Um, you know, and I think, I think even, you know, even if people go, you know, like go away from you and, you know, test the waters and it happens, you know what I mean? It's, you know, you might have a good relationship with a particular department, you put a lot of dogs on and there's nothing wrong, but then, you know, a new administrator comes in or whatever, and they're like, well, let's see if there's anything better out there. And then they, you know, go test the waters with some other vendors. A lot of times, you know, over my 20 years, I've had that happen and people have come back um, after they've tested those waters. And, you know, I just understand that's, you know, that's part of the thing. It's like, I don't go eat at the same restaurant every single day. You know, I switch it up every once in a while, but, you know, yeah, I got my go-tos that I like to go every week. And, um, you know, and I just hope to be that, you know, for, for my customers is, you know, to be able to not just be, you know, that place where you want to go because, you know, it's good personal relationships and good service, but also because, we're, you know, we're putting out, you know, a quality product for, for people, um, you know, and they feel like if there's, they have a problem, they can always come back and, uh, and have that problem resolved um, nicely and to their advantage. And I think, I think that's, that's hard for a lot of police dog vendors to, to, to grasp these days. I think, um, I think that's a lot of the reasons why if people go away from me and they go someplace else. They come back to us because they know I always answer my phone, even if it's a problem, not just an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, Jerry, let's talk about Tar Heel real quick as far as uh, in two aspects. One is the police side. What what do you offer to agencies? Do you have green? Do you have fully trained? Do you have handlers courses? What do you have? Yeah, we um, we kind of run the gamut as far as that goes. So, um, you know, we uh, you know, we, we import a fair number of dogs. And, you know, like in, you know, in our in our world, you know, sort of the small, medium sized departments that don't have their own departmental trainers that don't run their own classes, that sort of thing. You know, we're, you know, we're their, their, their surrogate trainers, right? So, you know, we'll, you know, they'll come down, we'll select dogs, we'll train them, um, do a handler course, you know, with their, uh, with their uh, canine officers, uh, put them out on the street, and they usually come back to us for in-service, you know, to a certain extent. Um, and then also for like annual recertifications and things of that nature, depending on how they serve their dogs. And then we've also, you know, we also sell a fair number of green dogs where, you know, departments will come and, you know, and buy, you know, buy dogs from us and, you know, and take them and do their own training and, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, we do, you know, we do both. We run a school for dog trainers as well. We have a, you know, I have a pet dog trainer that still paint, trains pet dogs. Um, that's part of our, you know, what we do, um, at our place. Uh, and so, you know, and then of course we, uh, you know, we have a fairly, you know, well-developed sport training program for PSA and, you know, and the club and all that stuff that's run, you know, run through Tar Heel. So I get I get people asking me all the time and I'm in Ohio. So we're on the this side of the country asking me about um, if I run trainers courses for uh, civilian folks that are interested in it, uh, in training police dogs or working dogs and or dogs in general, I guess. And I don't do that. But I've referred to several people to you. Um, talk to that. A lot of people don't know that, that there is places that I, I've been told. I don't know if this is true, that they can use their GI Bill to pay for it, maybe. Or there's other ways to pay for these things. But. But can you talk about that program a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we do, um, you know, we, I look at it this way, like I started out and, and I have this conversation with all my students. We call, we call it the, um, embrace the struggle conversation that I have a talk with them about. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and whenever, yeah. I, whenever I see some of my students struggling a little bit, you know, I, I sit down and I talk to them about this and just the quick version is, um, back when I started, um, you know, in, uh, in the stone age, I, you know, in order to, to learn detection training, I used to drive to a buddy of mine in, um, in Miami, um, who had been through, um, one of the Dutch scent schools a long time ago. He had a, you know, a private company. Um, and uh, I would go down there and, and spend time with him to learn, you know, detection training. I, you know, went to a friend of mine. Um, he's retired from uh, police work now. Uh, and he used to be a world team IPO competitor, Richie Pastuca from up in uh, Pennsylvania. And I would go to him when I could, when I could get away and I drove, you know, eight hours to him, you know, uh, every month or a couple of months, spend as much time as I could with him, uh, learning police stuff, uh, you know, as well as IPO stuff, uh, back then when I was doing IPO, um, you know, I would make trips uh, about an hour and a half away to another police dog trainer in the area that I worked with, uh, Johnny Joyce. Um, you know, and she, um, she taught me a lot of things, um, in the, in the beginning. Um, you know, and so like, I was in order to learn, it just took so much time and I was all over the place and I could only go someplace for so long. And so when I started my school, I said, you know, there are a lot of people like me who have the drive, have the, you know, the want to do it. 
it's just really, really hard to get the education in, you know, in one place, right? And spend a, a given amount of time doing it. So, um, I did open, you know, when I opened the school for dog trainers, it was literally my first student was back in 1996. And, you know, um, you know, we started, you know, we started teaching, you know, teaching, uh, you know, the, uh, the students, uh, you know, if they wanted to, um, they could just do obedience training, behavior modification, and, you know, and stay sort of within the civilian realm. But we also did, uh, you know, did, uh, uh, you know, police dog training with them. And actually a lot of them have, you know, graduated, branched out, you know, started uh, businesses or working with police departments, selling dogs, doing training, decoying, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I, whenever anybody calls me up and asks me about it, I say, you know, you're not going to come through a six month course and go out and, you know, run somebody's canine unit. It's just not going to happen. Oh, yeah, right? I think that they don't they don't ever tell them that. Right. Yeah. This is a this is the beginning of a journey. And you're going to you know, when we have the embrace the struggle talk at Tar Heel, I tell them, you know, if you've been here for four months and you're getting tired of working pet dogs and you want to complain about it. I worked pet dogs for a good seven years myself. Um, as I developed my business, as you know, I started getting more, you know, police dog contracts and things like that. I was still training, you know, pet dogs seven years into my, you know, into my uh, tenure in my business. And, you know, and that's really what sort of cross subsidized all of the other things that I wanted to do. Um, you know, it made, made it so I could have the money to, you know, buy a few dogs to resell and, you know, things like that. And I think, you know, I think, you know, everybody wants everything now. Everybody wants everything immediately. And this is, you know, when you come and get an education, like I was telling them just the other day, I said, you need to have a baseline education so that when you start going out into the world, you can evaluate things. You can tell if some training is really horrible or tell if some training is really good. And there's some things in there that you need to steal and put in your own training program. Um, you know, you can have conversations, you understand vocabulary, you understand, you know, training progressions for tracking, for obedience, for detection, things like that. It doesn't mean you have to understand all, every possible one, know every possible methodology that's out there, but you have to have a good baseline to then evaluate things against. And that's what we try to do at our school is, you know, give people that baseline so that when they get out there and they, and they continue struggling and they continue working and maybe they start a business or they work for somebody, you know, they have a way to, to, to be able to say, I, you know, I understand the forest for the trees a little bit. I just don't have a few, you know, little, um, you know, experiences here and there. You know, I've seen police dogs trained. I've seen them put with handlers. I've seen those handlers go through the handler course and get, you know, and get uh, put on the street. You know, I've seen dogs come in from Europe. I've seen problem dogs. I've seen how we worked on those problems. And I, I think that's the, that was the value for me of going and driving all these distances and things like that. And, you know, and visiting people was just to get to see what they're working on and how they're dealing with it. If they got a problem, you know, how do you, how do you work on it? And I think at our school, one of the things I always tell people is you get to see the process warts and all, you know what I mean? Like you get right, to right. see the mm-hmm. happening, right? Not like hiding stuff from you. I'm not saying, Oh, you can't work our police dogs. You can just watch. Yeah. I let them put their hands on it. I let them, you know, sometimes they make some mistakes and, you know, I might, you know, 
make my trainers a little bit crazy sometimes and they're trying to work on particular things, you know, and a, a student handler makes a mistake, but that's how they learn. And that's how these people that helped me in the beginning, you know, taught me um, that, you know, they allowed me to do things. They allowed me to decoy even when I wasn't very good. They allowed me to, to handle dogs even, you know, when I was still learning and I didn't know what I was doing. And those experiences, you know, really, you know, shaped me. And so th- those are the things that we try and do for our students, how much they put into it. And, and you guys know this um, as well as I do, how much they put into it. If they are wallflowers during training day or if they're the first ones that want to go pull dogs out of the trailer and handle them, you know, like th- that's going to be the difference between whether or not you like advance in this business or you just, you know, it's just a, a six month break and whatever it was that you were doing before. And now you're going to go back to it. Yeah, I know exactly. Which this actually kind of makes a perfect segue for uh, the PSA talk. So, you know, one of the things that originally drew me to it. So my background, like I said, is very similar to yours. Um, I have a fantastic mentor that's a canine trainer and, you know, former seven special forces group guy. And, you know, he's a cop cop and a military guy. And he's taught me a ton. And, you know, I actually got drawn to PSA because it was the closest thing that I could find at the time. And, currently still is to how we actually sort of train with the departments um, for actual deployments. And, you know, at the beginning, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I hadn't caught a lot of left bicep dogs, you know, everything was forearm bites and whatever else. Um, So for me, it was an eye-opening experience to see that you have all of these dogs and i mean i'll be honest with you i mean you know and everybody listening due diligence like i am a certified i am a psa decoy um i'm a trial decoy you know bradshaw is one of the judges um and you know so what we're talking about here is directly related to how we interact with both our police clients and then all of the sport people that we interact with as well and the the eye-opening experience for me personally was when you go to these psa events or when you train with these clubs that how fucking gnarly some of these dogs are and how much control a lot of these handlers have i mean you got fucking plumbers and stay-at-home wives and attorneys that have dogs that are light years better than an average patrol dog and i think a lot of times police handlers see that and they're like holy shit or they don't see it and if the when they're exposed to it they're like holy shit you know where did this come from and because you know a lot of those guys and this is something that eric talks about a lot like everybody talks they train in their little fucking bubble all the time and that's all they ever see and then they get exposed to something like your average fend off in the psa twos would severely fuck with a lot of police and I've done that with a lot of police dogs and their heads explode. So is what from the beginning was PSA sort of to mimic that or was it literally like you guys were just kind of like here hold my beer and let's see how let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I you know one of the you know I did IPO for a long time and you know Everything that I did competition wise, um, I wanted to be competitive. I wanted, you know, I wanted to have a chance to go out and, you know, and be competitive and, and, you know, possibly win a national championship. Right. So I, even when I, when I competed with my, my, uh, my Malamot in 1996 at 
Charlottesville's. Uh, it was in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was the IPO championships, Schutzen championships back then, USA um, Schutzen championship. What I did, um, you know, I came in like 22nd place out of like 65, you know, dogs. My first time at a national with my uh, with my dog. Um, and he ended up getting a stroke after that. And I couldn't compete in IPO with him anymore. But I was starting, you know, my business was starting to take off. And, you know, like to, to, to track a dog well enough to compete at a high level, like you need a lot of time to do that, right? So what I was finding oh, yeah. was, I, you know, like trying to grow my business and, and keep up my training and stuff like that. It was, it was problematic. So, um, I, you know, like when we, when we first started thinking about PSA, I was like, you know, like the stuff that, you know, the stuff that I do for, um, you know, in, in, uh, in PSA is a little bit more conducive for me to, you know, be able to run a business full time and have a little bit of a life and, you know, and travel some and that sort of thing. Um, cause I can get out there and I can, you know, I can, you know, uh, work uh, 10 or 15 minutes at a time, uh, you know, on obedience skills and things like that. And, you know, the same with, you know, certain protection skills. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit more uh, easier to compartmentalize. But a lot of the exercises, you know, that we thought of, you know, were things that, you know, we had learned along the way dealing with, you know, our, our early experiences with police dogs. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff is are things that we, you know, we train when we go and do seminars. Um, and like you said, you know, like, you know, for example, like a simple fend off, you know what I mean? Like you, you know, you stick a couch cushion in a dog's mouth when it's coming in on a building search. And, you know, a lot of times they'll just run around with it in their mouth and they don't understand, spit that and, you know, come back on the man, and, you know, and that sort of thing. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover there. There's a lot of things that people can learn. One of the things I have found, though, and I you, you touched on this when you uh, brought it up is you know, a lot of guys come and they, you know, they come through the handler course and then they, you know, we invite them all out to club to watch. Um, and I've had more than one handler say, I didn't come out to club because it was too intimidating. Right. Like they're like, you guys are, are so far above what I've seen before. I, I don't understand what I'm doing. That's, you know, it's not to brag. It's just, you know, that's not your typical in-service training day at a police department. Um, you know, when you're, you know, when you're really breaking things down, like we have to do in PSA and all the, the pressure healing and all that kind of stuff that you see in the upper levels, you know, and so I think some people do get intimidated a little bit by it. They're like, I, you know, I don't even know how I would get my dogs to the level that you've got your dogs and, 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 or decoy at the level that you guys are decoying and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the thing is, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to be in most of us in PSA are really accepting and just say like, come on in, like, check it out. And, um, you know, don't, so, you know, everybody starts at the beginning. I start, you know, everybody starts somewhere. I started and didn't know anything. And, you know, I, I just, I had to first learn that I even loved dogs cause I never even had a dog till I got my first one when I was like 30 and never grew up with dogs. I was mostly afraid of dogs my whole life. So, you know, everybody starts somewhere and you, you have to, you have to say, okay, if I can look at this and say, wow, that's, you know, there are some skills in here that really could benefit me as a police, police officer. Um, you know, and, and I could have that level of control on my dogs that you, like you said, the, the attorneys and housewives and plumbers and, and that have on their dogs because they get in with a good club, they follow the program, you know, they, they get to a, uh, a really good place with their dogs or they're very competitive. Um, you know, that I've had that conversation many times with police handlers and, and, you know, and there are a lot of really good, you know, f what I would call the five 
five percenters out there in, in the in the police dog handling world where they put in tons of work on their dogs. They you know they're 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 the superstars. The ones that we all want to teach in the handler courses that just want to get better and better and better and find bad guys and find you know find dope and you know they're you know we all have those guys. And then you know and 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 women. And then you know and then we also have the ones that you know just come through and they're like yeah I do my sixteen hours a week. Um, we all know sixteen hours or sixteen hours a month and I know you know that that those two eight hour training days a month you know half of it you're spent you know drinking some coffee and bullshitting and things like that and you know how much are you actually training your dog and I think um you know, just like with anything, the fantasy of, you know, being a high level sport trainer and the reality of the grind that it is, they're two different things. And so a lot of people are not really successful at it. And then if you're not successful at it, what do you do? You criticize it and you mock it, right? Because you don't have the wherewithal to put into it. Um, you know, exactly. the same, the same thing with police handlers is, you know, you have those five percenters that keep wanting to get better. And then you have like the vast majority of guys, um, you know, that, uh, you know, they're like, ah, uh, you know, I, I, I work my dog when I get paid to work my dog. And, you know, if I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to work them. And like guys that I've been around, like, you know, one of them works for me, Sean Siggins, you know, when he was a canine handler for 20 years and I knew him for the last 15 you know, years, um, you know, like he, you know, he always was working his dogs. He was, he was going to sport clubs, working his dog, you know, he was out tracking his dog, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, you know, um, you know, and, and messing around with like hard surface tracking stuff and things like that and calling me up and asking asking me questions when he was a canine handler and you know Sean Edwards another person that's in PSA it was in the canine unit for a long time up there in Baltimore City you know he was the same way he was like always working his dogs always thinking about it always putting in that extra time and I don't care what pursuit you're in you know we, you know you can criticize anything you know it's like if you know if you really put the time into you know the gym you know you'll see results if you go you know like once every three day you know three weeks you're not going to see the results and you know you can be a casual person or you can be a real one the problem with canine handlers is your life is on the line you know what i mean and you know with anything in police work whether it's your shooting you know or whether it's your you know your tactics or you know whether it's your conditioning physical conditioning you know or how much you train your dog all those things add up to you know are you going to be able to go out there and survive you know when shit goes really bad and sometimes it does um some people get through an entire career and shit never gets bad and you know they kind of luck out and so I think I think for us, hey, one of the things that we want to do is, you know, we said when we started, we want to set the bar high. And, you know, that's always the goal. I think if you set the bar high, some people will come up to that bar. And in PSA, it certainly happened. Like the training has evolved and, you know, people have been, you know, been awesome. You know, we've got more PSA 2 and PSA 3 competitors now than we've ever had. And it's not oh, yeah. because anything's gotten easier. It's because the training has gotten better and, you know, people have figured things out, you know, and we set the bar high enough that, you know, people really had to work at it, you know, and the decoying the same way, like, you know, if you're if you're a decoy in PSA, uh, you know, like you have to be in, you know, you can't show up at a trial and be out of shape, um, you know, and try and, you know, work some of these powerful dogs. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, you have to put it, you know, put into your craft, you know, what you want to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, inadvertently, this conversation will be interesting because, you know, PSA is first because everyone always asks me they're like oh you know well it's just like ipo i'm like uh no <laughs> so you know and i kind of say i give them you know it's the it's the risk versus reward and you know it, it 
you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that there's not a lot of dogs that are successful in PSA that aren't handled by the person that's intimately involved in their training. Um, you have to know what you're good at as a team and what you're not good at. Um, and, you know, and when we talk, start talking about scenario based, even in the lower levels, even in one, you know, you'll have some scenarios that you're not a hundred percent certain how they're going to go. And you'll be told that day, which is, you know, super important is how we train with all of our police departments. And, you know, Eric has been doing that for years. Um, and one of the things that Eric is always preaching about when those guys come to their in-service training, like they never know what the fuck is going to happen. And Eric's like, Oh, we're going to fucking do this today. And I do the same thing. And I'm like, you know, we'll do dead checks one week. We'll do vehicle extractions. Another week we'll do passive bites with, with multiple decoys one, the next week, you know, it's not the same certification stuff over and over again. So in, you know, I think one of the things that handlers have learned a lot or well, what they should take away from PSA is kind of an open mindedness and being able to learn and see from guys like, you know, Eric Stambro is definitely on the police dog side. You know, he was, you know, I mean, trainer for neighbor special warfare is a trainer for Canton PD and Eric, pretty much everything you guys do for in service is scenario based, right? Yeah, just about all of it. You know, I got to get dogs, when we get a little bit close to their research, you know, we, we clean them up on some of that stuff. Um, you know, or if I see a dog, one of the things that I do a lot at work is if I see a dog that's just, I don't like the way he's doing his detection, or maybe he's been allowed to get a little sloppy on, on his final and things like that. I'll keep guys back with me and work the basics, but then give my, you know, marching orders to all the rest of the guys. And it's always scenario based stuff. Um, in my department, we are really busy. So like when you get out of class the next day, you're probably going to get a chance to get a bite or, or get to do a lot of stuff. And, uh, so we can't just sit out here on the field and do recall and a basic bite and wear a sleeve only and things like that. And it was one of the huge things I changed when we got there. And I, I think the results have shown pretty well. And the guys really like it when they leave my training days on Wednesdays, they're exhausted. The dogs are tired. They're tired. Everybody's ready to go. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so in, on the civilian side, and I think, Personally, one of the things that PSA has kind of brought to the forefront is the idea of scenario-based training, um, which I don't know if the idea is new or not. Um, that's certainly what I've taken away from it. And now you've got people doing seminars for police departments and everything else. It's revol and fuck, I'm doing one in Florida in two weeks that basically revolves around high-risk deployments and it's scenario-based training. And I've had departments contact us and they're like, you know, we literally need inspiration and it's a lot easier for them to come to guys like me and Jerry and and Eric and say, you know, we need some inspiration. What the fuck do we do here? Like, how do we go through the multiple permutations of a car extraction? Or how do we go through the multiple permutations of a, a building search with somebody that's passive, with somebody that's not, with somebody that should be there that, that you're not sure if there should be there? And, you know, running those over and over again is one way that I think a lot of guys are, are not used to because they do the whole 364 days a year for one day for they train for one day a year and they're surprised when they have a deployment problem with the equipment fixation or the surprise when they have a problem with a passive bite or um, you know they're surprised when they have any number of things and they see you know for instance I remember Jerry you wrote a, you wrote a 
scenario where was where were we in Arkansas where Tuco smashed me in the face um, <laughs> right so it was a it was a passive send I was laying face down on the grass with no equipment on I had hidden sleeve on and Tuco had a muzzle on Stacy's dog Stacy Beller's dog and the dog had to be sent and stay on me for seven i don't know it seemed like forever but the dog hit me in the side of the face and you know i mean the dog had to stay engaged with no prey and with i wasn't doing anything other than just getting smashed and you know as i was laying there after the fact i kind of thought about it for a second but i mean that's fucking hard and you would have yeah well it it sucked a decoy too but it (laughs) i mean you know and you would have be hard pressed to find a lot of law enforcement dogs that first go at that would be successful. Um, I mean, that that's a tough deal. And then, you know, there's the ones where there is a passive bite where the dog bites for, I don't know what is it, eight or 10 seconds or something. The decoy comes alive. Right. Um, and the dog is asked to do, you know, and you know, my last training day, we did dead checks. So, uh, we had returning fire, and then we bit a, de- a passive decoy, and the dog had to stay engaged until he was either asked out or he was removed by the handler, and the decoy literally did nothing. And the number, I think, of law enforcement dogs that would have a problem with that is staggering, and which is sort of scary. Um, so how much of what we do in PSA, Jerry, kind of... I, well, I'll let you answer it, but how many, how, how much of what we do is cross applicable to scenario based training for law enforcement officers, even if they're not doing it at like a level that should be quote unquote judged, but at a level that they can take the skills and say, fuck, I need to fix X, Y, and Z, or I need to be able to have my dog be able to do this. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. (laughs) Who's going to Google that to get the joke? Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at almsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Tripwire Operations Group. We're a first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive text pack. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, 
canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. I think there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, and I think, you know, part of the um, part of the thing I love about it is, you know, as the, you know, as the, the judges come up with these really creative level three scenarios, um, it inspires people to think about, hey, you know, maybe, you know, if I if I was, you know, as a police dog trainer, uh, one of the things I love about, you know, even watching a PSA trial, if I'm not involved in it or judging um, is, you know, seeing, hey, that's a really great idea that scenario is is awesome and you know i mean some of it for me as a sport competitor is exciting you know maybe some you know very complex obedience you know uh, a skill you know that's uh, you know that's pieced together through five other skills that you know my dog might know but the question is whether i could i could actually get him to do it uh, but when it comes to some of the the gross you know the the you know the the big bite work sort of questions of like you said you know can a dog stay engaged with somebody without any movement you know what i mean and, and a lot of the, you know, like a lot of like when you talk about like high risk deployments and scenario based training and stuff, like here's here's a little thing I'll throw out there. And, and people can say, you know, you know, people can say what they want about it. But a lot of times I go to do a high, high risk deployment seminar and, you know, these dogs are supposed to be able to do building searches and bite, you know, hidden equipment or do muzzle attacks and all that sort of stuff. And you get there and it turns into a basic bite building class because a lot of times the, the training has skipped over all the foundation and fundamental work to try and get the dog to do skills for certification. And the dog can you know, maybe do those things, but it doesn't mean that dog is really deployable. And so, you know, like I, sometimes I, sometimes I see these people running these these classes like that and they're, you know, like, you know, throwing flashbangs in and coming in with shields, you know, and teams and these you know like and you see the dogs are barely even engaging the decoys and you say to yourself well if they didn't have a bite suit on would this dog even want to bite at all um you know and and so like those that's some of the problems some of the things that that i struggle with in our industry is you know are we you know are we doing a good enough job at training the fundamentals so that when, you know, these guys get out there in their first couple of years, they can go to a seminar like you're going to put on in Florida and say, look, I, my dog's got all the basic skills. Now I can, now I can go and do some really cool stuff. I can do some scenario based stuff. And a lot of times what you have is you have guys that are running training for police departments and they're trying to do the scenario based stuff, but the dogs don't have the basics in order to be able to complete it, you know? Um, and I've had, I've had cops come to me and say that very thing. They're like, yeah, I signed up for this class and, you know, it had all this, you know, high speed, high, you know, like scenario based stuff in it, but most of the dogs couldn't do most of the parts of the scenarios. And, you know, and it's because that there's a lack of fundamentals in the training. And I think, you know, I think we can, you know, we can, you know, it's almost like taking a young dog and saying, I'm going to jump right into PSA three type behaviors with that dog. doesn't mean the dog is bad or he can't do it or the handler's bad. But if your preparation is not there, if you haven't laid a good foundation, you know, and progress to the point where you can do some of the this stuff that's in, whether it's in upper levels of PSA or 
or in, you know, in scenario based training, you know, there's a lot of fault that goes back, I think, on the trainers that are responsible for it. And some are great at it and some are not so great at it. Um, you know, and, and that's where, you know, that's where that comes in for me is, you know, I love, you know, I love challenging dogs and handlers, but you got to have dogs that are capable of being challenged. Um, and a lot of that starts with the beginning training and understanding how much time it takes, you know, to really, you know, get a, you know, get a dog to a certain level where they can do a lot of these scenarios and they are deployable. Um, and that's where all the training comes in. I think really good, efficient training that, you know, gets the dogs to a level where they can actually do a lot of the things that we need to do on the street. Rather, and, and then what happened, in my opinion, what happens a lot of times is when you can't do that kind of stuff, what do you revert to? You revert to, you know, certification based, you know, training every, every month. And so you're, you know, doing, you know, fall starts and runaways and sending the dog for a sleeve bite and doing it out and doing a transport and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's like, it makes for a great demo, you know, for people who don't know any better, but then on right. the other side, point it's you know it does you know is that dog you know is practicing that stuff ad nauseum helping your dog you know when you get into you know a difficult situation you know something is something as simple as you know teaching a dog how to you know come out of a you know come out of a a car, you know, if you have to hit your door popper, um, you know, I wrote an article about that recently and I, I've seen, you know, people practice that kind of stuff and, you know, they're just standing outside their own car, you know, with a decoy attacking them and stuff. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, what if by the time you press your button, you know, the, you're knocked out and you're in the ditch. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, is that dog going to know to come and find you or is he just going to come out and, you know, John Blaze, uh, you know, one of your backups guys that are running up to try and help you because he doesn't understand he's got to find dad first. So you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things, I think, in our, you know, in our industry as police dog trainers that, you know, um, as, an as an industry as a whole, we're way behind. Um, you know, there's a lot of nifty stuff that comes in sport training that we learn and that we apply, you know, especially in, you know, sport like PSA where you're doing scenario based stuff, um, you know, that can, that can for sure cross over into the police world. The question is, are, are people open-minded enough to take a look at it? You know, um, I've been, I've been in big classrooms with bunches of cops and asked everybody in there. I said, well, you know, how many of you have Googled like KNPD? And seen what those dogs do over there in Holland, and like a handful of people put their hands up. Or how many of you have been to an IPO trial? How many of you have been to a PSA or a ring sport trial? Handfuls of people, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, um, you know, are you not curious? You know, maybe where your dog came from or what his training was before. You know, maybe your vendors have been lying to you and just telling you these dogs are just you know raised by police dog trainers over in Europe, and then they get sold over here, and you know it's, they've been doing the same thing over there. In Europe that they do here, um, you know, but, you know, we all know the, the truth is most of those dogs come from some sort of sport program somewhere. You know, I, I'd be interested to know what my dog did before he came over, you know, what he, what he did. Why, why he has this language that he knows commands in and he can do these things and, and stuff and, uh, and so forth. And, you know, and I think, I think that, you know, for those five percenters that really put in the, put in the time and the efforts, you know, they do that research, they think about it, you know, they ask the questions. And, you know, I think as a profession as a whole, it's our job as the instructors to, you know, to really inspire 
you know, um, everybody and say, look, if you've got a dog that needs some remediation and needs some basics, for God's sake, do it. You know, don't, you know, don't like sweep it under the rug and, and not deal with it. I think, you know, like Eric was saying, if he's got a dog that's, you know, having trouble with a particular skill and detection, like work that skill, get, you know, get it to where you want so that when you can, when you go out, you're not going to struggle, you know, with that particular thing. Um, you know, but, you know, like with, with most, Police officers, I find, you know, nobody wants to be the one left behind. They, you know, they all want to be doing the same stuff, whether or not that same stuff and that training day is good for their particular dog. And and that understanding and that, you know, that really comes from, you know, having some sort of a sense of training and to be able to say, well, if my dog's got gripping issues, I don't want to do tons of outs and, you know, and equipment orientation drills and tons of redirects and things and call offs and stuff like that. If, you know, commitment is my dog's problem, um, you know, but you can show somebody that their dog has commitment issues in the biting and then, you know, say, okay, well, the next exercise we're going to work on is, you know, is going to be equipment fixation drills. And and they're like, they're the first ones that want to get their dog out. And you're like, well, this is actually going to make your dog's gripping behavior a little bit worse. Um, you know, if we start working on this. Right. And so, you know, so like getting guys to understand the bigger picture, I think is, is really, really important. And it's our job. That's one of the reasons why I do, you know, I do a lot of I write a lot of articles and when I teach seminars and so forth, I mean, like my, you know, my feeling is like, I want you to understand a little bit of the big picture here so that you can, you can grasp, you know, what do I need to work on? And again, in the police world a little bit too, you know, it's, it's, uh, you go to a training day and it's like, all right, we've got these scenarios set up, but some of these dogs may need something else. You know what I mean? Or you didn't set up a good scenario where you could, you know, for the dog that just graduated school, you can dial it back to the point where that dog can have success and, you know, and, and, and also experience something that may, it may not have experienced before. And then, you know, set it on the track to, you know, being able to be as good as that dog that's had five years on the street and a bunch of street bites. Right. Um, you know, so we have, have to you have to be able to you know to make adjustments in the moment as trainers to do a good job and i think that's something that um, unless people get educated um and gain some perspective and part of that perspective may be you know actually going out and, and seeing what other people are doing and not you know you said at the beginning of the show not you know not living in your little fishbowl where everybody around you in a in a two county radius you know thinks you, you worships you and thinks you're the best trainer in the world and like you know you've never stuck your head out of you know your county and you've never gone to a conference you've never trained with somebody else because you know you want to be the most knowledgeable person that you know and if you don't know a whole lot of people it's easy to be the most knowledgeable person you know yeah there's always the tallest midget in the room <laughs> one of the things I do on our maintenance days, which I have, I think, about 40 dogs that come to me. So we split them into two groups. So they come every other Wednesday. And at the beginning of the day, if they haven't called me, I always ask, so who's got what what happened in the last two weeks? Who's having what problem? And I don't know if you find this. I'll, no one will raise their hand. Nobody. A couple of guys might say he's just not tracking really well or, you know, he's dicking off during detection or something like that. But most of them won't either tell you or they wait till everyone leaves right. and then pulls you aside. And I always say that. I go, don't come to me after we leave this room. Say it now in front of everybody and then we'll game plan it. Because I have a lot of – I have a lot of others in my group that have seen – just about everything. So if something weird happened in a scenario, like a live scenario, we can reenact it or talk about it, you know, through a group. And uh, I don't know if you get that too, where guys just, they, 
they don't want to admit any shortcomings on their dogs or they want to make excuses nonstop. Well, here, here's here's my take on that. And, and this is something that um, uh, Siggins, my head police dog trainer, and I talk about all the time is like we tell we tell our guys, like, don't live vicariously through your dogs. Like, I don't judge you as a human being based on the dog that you have, um, like especially when I go to military kennels and stuff like that. And I'm working with the Army or the Air Force. I understand that, you know, you, you become a canine handler, you get to a duty station, you might be assigned a dog that was somebody else had. And then you come out there with that dog. I'm not judging you as a handler or a human being necessarily based on how good or bad that dog may be that you happen to have in your hands right now. And the same thing with police dog handlers, um, you know, assuming you're trying to do your best, if you are having a problem, I think, I think where that, that sticking point comes is they don't want to say, I've, you know, my, my dog's having biting issues or he's you know, having trouble committing on passive bites or things like that because, you know, they, they, it almost reflects back on them to the point where as a team, you know, they're saying, well, we suck. And as a, as a teacher my whole life before I even got into dogs and as a trainer and a teacher now, I want people to come and tell me, Hey, I don't understand, you know, how to do this. You know, if, if I was back in my economics days, I don't understand how to do the math on this problem. You know, I, I need to learn how to do it. And, you know, I want my handlers to say the same thing. You know, my dog's struggling with passive bites. My dog is, is struggling with his search stamina. You know, he's a bomb dog and he's struggling with the search stamina. Um, my dog's struggling with his final response. It's, it's not like a personal thing that we then judge people by and say, well, well, you suck. Now, if you're not doing your work, if you're not actually working the dog, then there's a lesson in, you know, in some of this, which is, okay, well, maybe you need to work a little bit harder. Maybe you need to, you know, put some extra time into your dog and, and seek out somebody that can guide you if you don't understand the training progression to get where you want to go. Um, but I think you're exactly right. I, I, I always run into that. I remember I, I just, a quick story. I remember I was at a seminar in Michigan one time and I asked everybody, it was a police dog seminar, and I asked everybody, you know, what problems are you having with your dogs? So, you know, it was a bite work seminar that we can work on. And, you know, a few people said, you know, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that or whatever. And then there was this one guy, he said, he said, I don't have any problems with my dog. I said, and now, of course, now it's like, all right, well, I'm going to show you one. Um, and I, 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 like I, I watched the dog work, you know, do just do some basic bite work stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly an IPO dog that's been trained for police work. So, um, my trainer, uh, Ariel at the time, um, I put, so I put, um, you know, my, one of my female trainers in a bite suit and I said, just go, you know, go out there. We're going to do a little, you know, verbal challenge and he's going to tell you to come out and, you know, then I, you know, then you're going to, you know, um, you're just going to tell him that you're not going to comply and he's going to send the dog and then you're going to take the sleeve from behind your back and just pitch it into the field, you know, to the left and throw it as far as you can. And so he sends the dog, she throws the sleeve in the field the dog takes a hard ride away from the line of the decoy and just grabs that sleeve and he's running around in circles. And, and I told her, I said, as soon as that dog bites that sleeve, I said, run up on this handler and just start kicking the shit out of him. Just like beat him with your bite suit as hard as you can. And so here he is being embarrassed in front of everybody because I don't have any problems with my dog. And you know, at the end of, you know, so we, you know, we get the scenario done and he says to me, well, I guess you showed me I have some problems with, with my dog. And I said, it's okay to say, 
I haven't discovered anybody, any, but I'm sure that there is something there. You know what I mean? Like, let's 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 talk about all the deployments you've been on. What have you seen? You know, have you seen anything? You know, anything? You can't have a dog for three or four years and not see some weaknesses. Um, you know, I have competition dogs that I think highly of, but I also know, you know, like Ted said earlier, I, I also know where my weaknesses are and some of the things that my dogs might struggle with. Right. And so, you know, I think you have to be honest with yourself about that kind of stuff and, you know, and, and not be, you know, not have to be dragged kicking and screaming you know, to, you know, to say my dog needs help with this. Because if you're at a, if you're for Christ's sakes, if you're at a seminar, the whole point of me being there, if I'm there or if Ted's there or if, you know, Eric, if you're at a seminar or you're doing in-service training, I'm here to help you. Like I could be doing something else, but I'm actually here to help. <laughs> right. And so, like, if you can't tell me what you need help on, if I have to, you know, drag it out of you or discover it because you're nervous to say so, you know, what I mean, like, I, I always try and tell people, like, we're not judging you as human beings based on, you know, how your dog behaves. If, you know, if your dog happens, you know, if you come to a seminar and your dog is scared of something, right, like, it you know it it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the world for you and your dog, but I need to know because I, I don't want to you know I don't want to put a really experienced guy like you know Sean Siggins in a bathtub in a in a room in a dark room and you send your dog in there and you know and he runs away because he doesn't want to engage and doesn't want to have any part of that scenario you know on a big two, you know six foot four two hundred and you know seventy five pound dude you know who's who's strong and fast and you know and I think I think guys need to say, hey, you know, my dog might struggle with this. That's something I learned early on just doing sport training is, man, I would go places and see decoys that are there to work the trial. And I had a small dog when I was working IPO and uh, go to places where it was like dudes, you know, like Brian Mowry from the old days, like these big dudes, you know, big, fast, strong guys. And I would, whenever I'd get to the field with my IPO dog, even though I knew he was a nice dog and he was a strong dog, I would always tell, say to the decoy, hey, um, when you first, you know, when you first catch him and drive him, like, drive, you know, drive him a little easy because, you know, he's, you know, he, you know, he might get a, a little mousy in the grip and, you know, with the pressure and stuff like that. And even though I knew my dog really didn't get mousy in the grip, I just wanted them, you know, I'm like, hey, it's a new guy. It's a new situation. It's a new place. He's a young dog. Let me not like ruin him by, you know, coming out there and telling somebody like, you know, Brian Mowry, who was a big dude back in the old days working trials and say, I've got the baddest thing on four legs then he's going to look at me and be like okay um you really want me to test him and you know and then you end up having you know having some sort of problem this way i knew everybody i put him on we started slow we built up and then i you know by maybe like the third bite i'm like okay now you know like really put your best on him and you know and and, uh, and give him some good stick hits and then by the end of it i was like okay i felt like that was a good training session i get i had to i had to take a little i had to take a little bit of humble pie at the beginning and just say let's start easy and we'll work our way into something more difficult and I think a lot of canine handlers want to believe their dog will do anything, um, but they just haven't practiced 
all the things they really need to practice to know that their dog will do anything. And then, of course, you got some guys out there who have done amazing things with their dogs, you know, and uh, and they work really hard with them. And their dogs have seen, you know, scenarios that we can't even imagine. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had a handler, you know, whose dog had probably, you know, the most bites, I think, in New Jersey. And he put him into an attic and he bit the guy up there. And, you know, the dog and the dude fell through the ceiling and, you know, came down in the room and the dog's still fighting him. And, you know, what I mean, and, uh, and, you know, and stuff like, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, man, you know, like a dog, a dog like that is like gold on the street, you know, especially if you're in a rough area, you know, a dog that can survive falling through a ceiling. Like we can't even like make, make that, make that up. We can't even practice something like that almost, you know? So, um, but I, I think handlers have to be a little bit more willing to say, I'm having trouble with this, or even if it's a basic skill, like sort it out, get it worked on, you know, go to a trainer who's going to help you with it, you know, so you can get past those things uh, and get better and and not just sweep things under the rug and try and hide. And I think that's what a lot of guys do. They try and just they just want to hide and kind of get through. And as long as they certify every year, everything's okay. I mean, and um, you know, we want we want people to hit that higher bar. And I think a lot of us that are in the industry right now are and we're interested in those things. We're interested in saying, let's set the bar higher. Let's ask more of our guys and our dogs, you know, so that they're better and they do better. And especially in this environment with policing the way it is right now, need people. You know, when I first started. I don't know about, about you, but when I first started, you know, back in the day, um, and all I ever saw were guys doing runaway bites, you know, on sleeves or, you know, if you were lucky on a, on a bite suit. And I would say, how come you guys don't ever do, you know, any kind of like confrontational bites? And they're like, well, you know, when you get a police dog out, most people just run away. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and not, not, With scratch not, pants on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, scratch like, pants and a sleeve. Not so much anymore, you know, like people, you know, you say, might send your dog on something and they're like, all right, send your dog. I want to fight you and your dog. Come on over here. Right. So, you know, it's uh, times have changed significantly. We, we got to get better as an industry and we got got to get better, you know, get better as uh, as a as a whole in terms of you know dealing with the realities of problems when they come up. So, Jerry, there's a, um, a lot of people in police dog handler world that um, will not. Some will bad mouth. Some will just say uh, like IPO or some other sports. They're like, yeah, it's just I don't like it. That's not what we do. From you coming up through doing all that, what training in, say, IPO or whatever that you did back in the day, do you still apply to your basic training on dogs when you're pre-training, get them ready for like a class? Is there still some things you still use? Tons of stuff. Like, you know, like I wrote probably, I don't know, 60% of my book, Controlled Aggression, when I was doing IPO. Like it was, I, I wrote that book basically when I first started as a way to wrap my brain around what I was doing with my dog, just like to get the big picture. And so as I was training, I would like put this stuff together and I put it together over a period of like 10 years. Um, just those were notes to myself, you know, uh, on bite work. And, and I think, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we do in terms of like grip building and, and really basic stuff, um, you know, stuff that I use all the time. And I think, you know, I have some friends, 
um, you know, that are in the IPO world and, and I have tons of respect for them. When I go out and I train with them, I always learn something when I go train with them. Um, most of the, and most of the time it's not stuff that I expected to learn when I went there. Um, but it was just stuff, you know, stuff that I saw them do, um, you know, that, uh, that they're applying, you know, to, to their particular sport and stuff I can take away. I have tons of respect for people who do IPO to do it well, you know, like if you're chasing those 300 points, I mean, you know, you really have to be precise and work really hard, you know, no matter what sport you do, whether it's PSA or anything else, um, you know, there's tons of technique that comes out of that, uh, that, uh, you know, some of it applicable to, to police dogs, you know what I mean? Like, you know, nowadays we always get into the, you know, push pull debate, you know, with police dogs and, you know, an IPO now, as opposed to when I was in it, you know, everything is about dogs biting and pulling. And I don't like that. I like dogs that bite and push, um, you know, and, you know, the, the Dutch have been doing it, you know, for forever. They teach biting and pushing and, you know, and pulsing grips are okay. As long as the dog is crushing you, like, you know, like there's differences from sport to police work and practical application for lots of different reasons. But there's tons of stuff, you know, like I marvel, you know, I have a, a club member, uh, Teresa Courier. She was on the world team this year. She had, brings one of her dogs out to PSA training at my club. And like her obedience is, is beautiful. It's awesome. It's flawless. She has, you know, very few problems in her obedience, you know, in P, even in PSA. Um, and, but she's a very, very good trainer and she's studied on some really, really, really top trainers. So I really, I really feel like there's a lot that can come out of that. I have a lot. I have tons of respect for people that commit themselves to that type of pursuit. You know what I mean? That 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 sport is no longer for me. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, I like to do different things with my dogs. Um, you know, and, you know, and so like just today I was working with both of my dogs on their retrieving and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, re I'm retrieving, you know, uh, metal pipes, I'm retrieving PVC pipes, I'm retrieving umbrellas, I'm, re I'm retrieving leather straps, I'm retrieving, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, police patches, you know, things like that. And, you know, if I was an IPO, I'd be retrieving a dumbbell and that'd be the only thing my dog had to retrieve. I, I kind of like the variety that PSA has, um, you know, for doing different things, uh, like that. And, and that to me is interesting and it's fun. Um, you know, so I think, uh, I think for me, PSA is a little bit, you know, a little bit more of the sport, you know, that, uh, that, you know, I focus on and concentrate now, but, you know, I just, I just had Mia Skogster as a, a, an international competitor come to Tar Heel last year and do a seminar. And I learned tons of things from, from her. She did an obedience seminar and it was, it was great. Um, I learned a lot of things just about, you know, dog behavior from her, just how she sees dogs, how she sees them react to things, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of anybody who works hard at any pursuit. I think, I think it's to be, it's to be uh, recognized and, and, and also appreciated. And I, and, and to get to the whole, you know, like, you know, down talking everything. I 100% believe, and I see it on Facebook all the time, you know, there's guys that get on there and no matter what you do, they've got to have some, something to say about it. You know, like you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And everybody's doing it wrong. And it's like, you know, when people get on there and say that kind of stuff, you know what it says to me? It says to me, I'm a, that's a dude, that's a dude who doesn't want everybody to know how unsure he is about what it is he does. So exactly. it's going to be <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so. Tons of them, you know what I mean? Like tons of people that are like that. And it's just, I, you know, I kind of like, 
I, I show what we do. I keep my mouth shut. You know what I mean? I uh, don't argue with people about fight drive anymore on, on social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, you're like, do what you do. And if you, if you produce good results, if you go out and, you know, you win some trophies or, you know, you, you go to a championship or your police dogs are biting people and finding dope and catching bad guys that are running away. Like that's, you know, that the proof is in the pudding. It's in what you produce. Exactly. And, and I think, I think ultimately I have respect for people who do that and there are people that train way differently than i do that are in the police world oftentimes that you know have tons of success and you know what i mean and so those are people that i would consider you know saying hey you know i might learn something from this person because they're having success and ultimately that's what it's all about right so you know i right. I, I um I, I think i think all of us need to be op more open-minded about that kind of stuff and you know, and not think we're the only ones who've had an idea because we're not, you know, I mean, there's exactly there's tons of great ideas out there and we can all learn from each other. And, you know, like, you know, everybody needs to relax a little bit when it comes to, you know, who's right and who's wrong and all that kind of business. It's, you know, go out and show that you're right. You know, like that. That's what it is to me. Um, you know, so that's you know, that's my that's my feeling about that stuff. Excellent. Jerry, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I want to have you back on at some point, too, to talk about some of the building search stuff, some of the indirect and direct reward for detection. Eric is a fucking ninja at detection stuff as well. Um, we can find Jerry online at TarHeelCanine.com, spelled out canine. Uh, you're TarHeelCanine on Instagram, too, correct? Yeah, Tar Heel K number nine on Instagram, just to make it confusing. <laughs> I am not a social media maven. I do, I do my best. Yeah. yeah, perfect. And you guys have a very, uh, very full YouTube channel as well um, that has a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, check out PSA online as well at psak9.org, the letter K, the number nine. Um, there's a list of clubs uh, in your area. If you're a canine handler or if you're a sport person, hit them up. They'll help you out. They're all good people. I know most of them. Jerry knows most of them. They're fantastic. Uh, check out Jerry on Amazon as well. Uh, controlled Aggression. You can get it there. Where else can you get it? Uh, Lulu, L-U-L-U.com is the uh, uh, publishing house, and uh, you can order um, uh, directly from them uh, all over the world. You can get uh, you know, hard copies or, um, or PDFs uh, as well. Perfect. Uh, with that, I want to say thanks. Uh, Eric and I are going to have some more stuff coming up here pretty quick. We're going to be instructing at the Bravo 3 conference. Uh, we'll do some live shows with some of the Marsoc kids and Ryan Morse from Tripwire as well as Jason Perguson from Highlands Canine. Uh, with that, Jerry, thanks again for coming on. Um, I'm sure I'll see you this year when you're judging or competing and I'm decoying. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, and thanks, guys, for having me on. It was a pleasure. It was a nice, uh, nice to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah it was nice perfect. talking to you. Excellent. Thanks. Thank Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.